Welcome to our panel discussion on COVID-19 and the creative industries. We are Voices, a DIY platform created to address a myriad of social issues from mental health to climate change through fundraising, workshops, talks, panels and events. This discussion initially happened over live stream back in April, just as lockdown had been put in place, and featured a selection of fantastic creatives pushing the boundaries of the UK music and art scene, including Robbie and Marcus, the brains behind SOS Manchester and directors of High Hoops, Brian D'Souza, aka DJ and producer Auntie Flo and director of Open Ear Music, Marina Blake, director of Brainchild Festival, and Nina Franklin, station manager at Melodic Distraction Radio. Together they explored the effects of the global pandemic on the music and nightlife industries. We also welcomed back the wonderful Aidan O'Reilly to moderate on this one. However, this was our first digital panel, so apologies for the audio quality. We just hope the quality of discussion makes up for that. Good, I was just waiting for all the videos to start. First of all, everyone, welcome to Voices' first ever digital panel. Uh, we hope you had a bit of time there to join in for the clap for the NHS. Um, just on behalf of Voices, and I'm sure on behalf of everyone taking part in the panel tonight, we would like to express our gratitude for all the key workers. You are truly doing an amazing job, um, and you are an inspiration every day. Tonight, we're going to be discussing um, coronavirus and the impact it's had on the creative industries. Uh, thankfully, we are joined by a very well-qualified panel. don't think we could have asked for um, such great people to join us to sort of guide us through this conversation and, and address some of the key points over the next hour or so. Um, just a general point in terms of housekeeping. If you have any questions um, throughout, please just put them in the comments and we'll do our best to try and get to any of them at the end. And without further ado, I think it'd be a good time for our panelists to introduce themselves. So we'll start with the guys at High Hoops. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Robbie Bloomer. I'm dialing in from Manchester right now. Um, so I'm the co-founder of High Hoops. So High Hoops is an inclusive club night based in Manchester that's been running for about five years now. So we roughly do around eight parties a year, focusing on booking international artists alongside loads of um, kind of lesser known uh, local local artists as well. Um, I've also been working on recently a campaign to support a lot of the workers and venues that have been impacted by the pandemic. Um, so we'll probably touch on that a bit later. Yeah, and uh, Marcus, yeah, from High Hoop. So obviously run high hoops parties um also run a night called freak and i also um as a day job work for a bank moving on sustainability and helping them with their social housing and esg agenda um, as well so perfect and nina so, you want to go next sure so uh, hi everyone, um, I'm Nina Franklin, coming to you from Liverpool right now. Um, I am the station manager of a small internet-based uh, radio station 
that's based in the Baltic, well, was based in the Baltic Triangle. We've recently moved all of our broadcasts online due to the COVID-19 crisis. I'm also a promoter here in the city. I run a party called Aethe, um, which the, the whole idea of the party is platforming um, women and artists of colour to play on the sort of like slightly harder end of the dance music spectrum. And I also run DJ workshops for women, non-binary and trans folks here in the city as well. Perfect. And from my screen, it's downwards, but we'll go down to you, Stuart. Okay. Um, my name, can you see it? Can you see me? Yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry. Um, my name is Stuart Glenn. I run them, the course uh, in Tottenham. It's a sort of DIY um, nightclub that we built just um, just over two years ago. Um, from the ground up with just a group of friends and we, we opened a sort of quite decent sort of success story. It went from a sort of 200 capacity club to opening sort of six rooms. Um, and yeah, so yeah, we've, we were sort of just at the cusp of doing a hell of a lot more with, with the site and um, coronavirus has come down and knocked us for six. So <laughs> here we are chatting about it here. <laughs> Thanks for that. Cool. Um, yeah, hi everyone. I'm I'm Marina. I'm creative director and founder of a festival called Brainchild. We've been running for about um, eight years. This would have been our eighth festival. Um, we started when we were 19 at university and were volunteers on it for six years and have just begun paying ourselves and like making it a professional outfit, but still trying really to hold on to its DIY ethos and community-driven um, programming. Uh, yeah, so... I'd say that's what we are. We work across loads of art forms. So we have a program that's made up of theatre, film, dance, music, visual arts. It's become a big network of creative people. A lot of talks, workshops, ideas focused as well. And we do lots of London events. Um, and we're residents at a building in Southwark where we do some stuff as well. Um, that's probably me. Perfect. And last but definitely not least, Brian. <laughs> well, you never know. Uh, hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm Brian, Brian D'Souza, um, DJ and producer under the name and alias Anti-Flow, um, released on labels like Brownswood and on my own label, High Life. We uh, do a radio show on Worldwide Affair. I also run, as well as being a DJ in the sort of more creative side, I run a, a business that I set up, um, which is a kind of music strategy playlisting business. We curate playlists for different brands, different businesses all over the world. Um, and we recently announced our curator community to try and um, yeah offer a model for uh, DJs and curators potentially for the future. Obviously, we don't know what that future will be, but um, yeah, it's interesting to chat about it. Great. Yeah. So as everyone can hear there, we've got quite a mixed panel in terms of their direct role into their respective creative industries. And I want to just jump straight in and get started. If we could start to paint the picture of just what has really been lost and, and the damage that coronavirus and the government imposed lockdown has done to you from your perspective um, and what you offer to the creative industry. Um, I can say something. Yeah, sure, it's, that's a good Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's just basically, it's come out of nowhere, completely unprepared. Everything we've built up for, you know, since we started is it's just like completely stopped. We have no clue what to do no clue which like you know how we might move forward and we're just we're just literally treading water every day trying to work out the, the, the direction everybody's hanging on everybody in the chain's being knocked over by you know our staff suppliers artists agents managers landlords like and nobody has a clue what to do um, and we're just stuck in this thing where everything's kind of has a knock-on effect of something else and 
and just how, how will all that get kick-started and how will it move and there's so many different parameters of you know might be reduced capacities it might be you only allowed x amount of people in the venue we, nobody knows what's going to go on beyond it so it's just it's really difficult um, and it's just going to get tighter and tighter we've had you know some staff are sort of already got some people i know are already starting to run out of money um it's amazing what can happen in the space of like six weeks mm. yeah the effects seem to have just caught everyone by surprise and, and been very detrimental um yeah. if we want to move does someone want to come in there I have been wondering how dreadful it would be just if you were running a club like you are and having to literally close doors. I feel from our perspective as a festival, it was when this first went down, I didn't for a second think that July would be off the cards. I was like, we, we had a party in March and we had to cancel it. And then I'm sure that you guys experienced the same thing where just the, the tide of kind of cancellations and the, the kind of time frame that you're working on just got longer and longer. And then I realized that the summer was out and that that wasn't going to be something that we could move ahead with and again like you're saying that the effect on the supply chain and I've had to let go of a lot of our team um who've got like 25% of a of their contract uh and lots of them are my best friends um we've obviously had to let down all our all our artists for their for their shows um and we're lucky that we didn't put down more money to be honest just because we still we still got a lot of money sunk into this year, but if it had been any longer, I don't know if we could have had a chance of even getting back to where we need to be and doing next year, um, which is still even like, yeah, I don't know what to bank on really. I don't know. <laughs> have you pushed the date for next year or just completely cancelled? It depends what you want to call a postponement. Like I suppose mm. we'd like to move a lot of the bookings that we didn't have a chance to do this year to next year. Um, and we're still rolling out the same show in the respect I, I think the you know the, the, the operational planning for this year will be the same we wouldn't be making a jump in terms of capacity or changing the way that our layout works or anything like that um, or take it you know that kind of thing will stay the same um, but it will be next year in next July <laughs> there won't be anything from us in terms of a festival this year I don't think mm -hmm. yeah so for, for us it's a similar situation to Marina and Stuart you know we had a number of parties lined up until probably the end of the year um, and about a month ago we started postponing with the view that you know maybe in July we'll be able to to um, move this party um, and it's just slowly and slowly um, moving more towards the idea that we're going to have to push everything back and it's just becoming a real struggle with the contracts and flights that we've paid for um, and people that have already bought tickets for these events you know people want refunds if they're not um, sure that they're going to be able to go ahead. So it's just it's just a bit of a guessing game at the minute, um, and we just don't know when we're going to have clarity over when we can actually move forward. It's just difficult. And then Nina, what about you from a from a radio point of view? What's your situation been since all this yeah. has taken place? Um, so we've closed the the physical station for now. We um, it all happened quite quickly. I think everybody's probably on the same page here in that as the news started to come in, we started to implement social distancing more heavily within the studio, but it became apparent very, very quickly that it wasn't going to last. Um, we have completely closed down the studio for now. We had a number of um, summer projects lined up as well, a lot of it being um, work with festivals across the summer. So, so some very like close friends and partners, the folks over at Africa Royer, the folks at Gotwood, um audio farm as well where we were either going to be um putting stages together for them or working more heavily on some of their back end stuff is is completely off the cards 
Um, and I, I know we're talking a lot about loss here, but it's funny in a way we adapted quite quickly. As much as we closed down the the physical station and the location itself, we took all the broadcasts um, online and basically set up 170 other locations as such from everybody's everybody's houses and living rooms. So wow, that's impressive how quickly we adapted. <laughs> then yeah, fair play. And Brian, what about yourself? Have you found yourself in a position where you've had to make a lot of lifestyle changes, cancel a lot of gigs, or how's it been for you? Uh, I'm slightly lucky. I like to be optimistic in most situations, and obviously this this situation presents particular challenges to do that. But but ultimately, I'm I'm I, I, I've been. I mean, just for my personal circumstances, very selfish. Like you know, I've this has enabled me to spend more time with my 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 one year old son. Um, I've been able to do a lot of reading. I've been able to do a lot of research into different things that I wanted to do for a long time. I've been able to try and finish my new album. So there's positives for me personally. I get what everyone said so far and absolutely sympathize. I think the difficult thing with the creative industries is obviously it's largely driven by self-employed people and the government support that has been there has been very welcome for sure, um, but obviously has prioritized people and pay, pay as you earn. And, and with my company, Open Ear, you know, we have, 12 staff I think on pay as you earn and and the furlough scheme has been fantastic for them it gives them a bit of security the 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 the, the self-employed scheme for us I mean I employ about six or seven people you know part-time full-time with that scheme we don't know because there hasn't been any kind of like real kind of clear de details on this what what we've done though and we're in a lucky position to do that because we're fairly established as a business is we've been able to offer support financially with or without the government support to back that up so it's a survival tactic you know it's everyone's taken a reduction on on pay but at the same time like we i'm i'm very proud that we've been able to help every one of my team in their own individual circumstances to hopefully get through this the biggest thing though and people have kind of referenced it so far is like what happens when things do start moving again and obviously in the news even today they're talking about like you know ease of the lockdown and stuff like that because that doesn't necessarily help any of us in our industries because mm -hmm. obviously as it's come out michael gove i think said that the creative industry you know festivals hospitality businesses etc are going to be the last to open so there's still this massive uncertainty for us for me um that's the biggest worry is like when the the government support runs out, which could be at the moment at the end of June, but then actually, you know, we don't have any open restaurants, bars. I don't have any gigs potentially until, the, you know, maybe even into next year, you know, so what do we do to fill that gap financially? That's going to be where it's really tough. But I, I also know, you know, given the government's kind of approach so far, which seems, you know, seems to be in my, my head they've, they've, they've handled the, the kind of support pretty pretty well hopefully they'll have an easing of the you know it's sort of midway between a full furlough and maybe a half furlough and a, some support mm. for freelancers through you know i don't know we just don't know but I'm, I'm hopeful that that will come through yeah hopefully some form of like a contingency plan almost for this sort of industry because it is obviously as you said probably going to be one of the last ones to get back in the full swing uh, so i think one of the main points that you all touched on there was sort of um, the events being cancelled and whether it's events that you're running, events that you're played in, the festival or events that are supposed to be happening at your club. And obviously, if you're in my position, you go out, you want to have a good night, you've bought a ticket, the times are financially hard for everyone. When you hear your events cancelled, think, right, need to get a refund. I know that a lot of clubs at this point are making pleas to, to ask um, 
members who are going to their night if they can part from the fee and leave it as a donation. Can we talk about briefly just how important it is and how much it helps use when people don't get the refunds in, in times like these and times like crisis? Um, I'll say something. Once you've put on a show, you don't, all your costs are not associated with that one night. It's not, you know, 10th of April, you pay everything out, get everything back in. You're paying deposits, you're paying flights, you're paying marketing, you're gambling basically on it working. Um, we're already at the venue, we're paying rent for time, in for time, paying everything else. So, you know, if we have a series of that stock, we've already paid everything out. If everything stops for X amount of time, suddenly the cash flow is gone and we're pretty almost game over. And it needs it needs people to understand the implications of everybody taking their tickets back and not supporting it. It's totally fair if people want to do it, but if they can, you know, leave it with the venues and promoters, it means they can rebuild themselves quicker. Mm. I'd go further than that as well. You know, there's obviously, there's loads of people that have sort of felt the brunt of this situation in terms of, you know, they've lost a job or they're furloughed, et cetera, and aren't in a financial position to support. Um, but there are also lots of people that are still receiving, you know, income, etc. So I think the thing that that I'm doing, you know, I, I'm still being paid as normal. So, you know, start to think about how can you support the sort of promoters or the um, clubs that you would have gone to previously, um, you know, you would have still gone out on a Friday night. You would have still gone out on a Saturday night. That disposable income is vital to ensure that, you know, the scene is there when you, you know, when, when this lockdown sort of stops. We need some, somewhere to go, you know, and it's important that people realise and appreciate that. And, you know, if, if people are in a position to be able to, to sort of support and venues then then they should be looking at ways and to, you know to do that mm-hmm. we've had success so far with that um we've given people a month to claim their refunds um and we have we did get a good old you know flurry of requests at the beginning but we also gave people the option to partially donate their ticket you know even if it's just giving a tenner or 20 pounds towards it also obviously gave them the option to roll their ticket onto next year and also to make outward like flat donations and pretty much what like what what Stuart was saying, it's just about for us. It's explaining, yeah, that we have we have spent money on this year that we can't get back, and that if we lose all our cash flow, all our money, all our income comes from events, um, and that it would have a devastating impact if people all claim that at once because we would have been bought no time to to fundraise, no no time to sort ourselves out, and and actually just that we would be rolling on a giant deficit into our next festival, which we don't want either. Um, and that therefore it would be better for everyone if next year could be great and not not worse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but actually the support has been quite good. I've been impressed. Like we got quite a lot of donations in the first in the first day, and like I'm I'm encouraged. I think for that that attitude, and it's important to remember that not everyone has lost their jobs, and that some people, yeah, are just spending way less money than they would if they've been going to the pub or if they've been going out and. And that if you message it right, there is there are pockets of disposable income that can really go a long way. Um, and we've got, I think one of the biggest challenges is knowing, like what Brian says, um, you know, after after this kind of furloughed package is over, what will be left? How long will we have to fend for ourselves in this sector? And what can we be doing to harness that um, really effectively? 
and less like spread out and small and maybe more centralized solutions yeah i think the the the, the really frustrating thing is the fact that you know everyone's sort of reaching out to their communities in terms of getting support um at the moment and you know that there's, there's only so much financial support each individual local community can provide to support the scene um you know and actually everyone's you know a lot of people are in a really shit position financially um and actually the thing that we really need to see you know the, the grants are really welcomed in terms of from the from the government for venues etc um, but I think there needs to be more um, thought process from the government um, and collectively around allocating grants to specific venues that need it, to specific projects that need it, um, and grants as opposed to loans. You know, it's it's all well and good sort of providing through CBILs um, facilities for organisations to, to access and sort of increase um, their the borrowing, but you know, it's, is that the right thing to do right now? You know, I'm not sure. So I think, you know, any support that can be provided from communities, great, but actually are we just subsidising, you know, government ultimately? And what sort of responses of people? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I think one of the things um, which I think is imperative is, is the government somehow try and um, alleviate the situation between commercial landlords and tenants because, if it goes on for you know six nine twelve months or however long it's going to be and we've got to pay off you know everyone's going to be paying their rent and they haven't got the income or they're working on 30 percent revenue or whatever capacity it is no one's going to last there's so many venues are going to get wiped out um mm-hmm. so i just think there needs to be some sort of structure um one of the things that people are trying to push for is something called national timeout which is a nine month break from the commercial landlords and then they had the nine months rent at the end of it just to give people a bit of breathing space to, to be able to, to, to work out what's going on and, and and wait until everything's right and safe to open at normal levels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think there's a, there is more that the government can do to help the businesses mm-hmm. to get through. The same thing is obviously you've got furloughs, um, furloughing for, for staff, you've got the 80% self-employed, the directors don't get anything. Um, there's, there's gaps in what they've done at the moment and they need to be fixed really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what you've all touched on here is that it's clear that the government have been making an effort, but there is still a lot of gaps in their effort and, and this industry especially uh, slips through them gaps. Uh, I guess that brings us on to the whole point of what communities are doing and what um, organizations have been doing and starting themselves to try and add that extra level of support. Brian, you touched um, briefly on what that your company was in a financial position to be able to support the members of staff there. And I know the guys from my hoops have been heavily involved with Save Our Scenes. So can we maybe talk a bit about that and maybe some other initiatives that have came about recently that can support people? Um, yeah, sure, I, I, I can go on that. I mean, you know, we I think what's interesting is to look at, you know, we talked about the money flows a little bit, but it, and it's still a it's still a topic that no one wants to touch on because, you know, it's a big faux pas to talk about money. And I think it's great the Moon and Brainchild have been able to have that conversation with your audience to be able to get something back because that's what our community is all about. It's about helping each other in the time of need, isn't it? So often we, I think there's an ignorance, generally speaking, when it comes to how the music industry works, how money flows in different directions, how 
much clubs like the cause, I imagine, you know, struggle with their cash flow on a, on a week by week. And it is a gamble, as you said, Stuart. I, I can recognise that because I've promoted club nights myself for 10 years and breaking even was a triumph, to be honest. So, you know, I I, I, I can see all those points of view. I think that, um, you know, what's been happening in the music industry at large over, and this isn't a COVID thing, this is for the last, you know, however long is, you know, the encroachment of big tech companies coming in and dominating how we, you know, you know, how we listen to music, how we consume music. Um, and you've got outlier companies such as the likes of Bandcamp that are like, you know, doing something I think a lot better for music to generate income for the actual artists and things like that. And that's been a that's been a great success story for them and for the artists that obviously you can sell 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 stuff through there. Um, you know, so I think it's time now with this sort of downtime that we're all in to question like how the money flows and where it actually goes and our when we consume music through something like Spotify, are we just supporting big tech to be able to, you know, further its goals rather than music's goals? It's all too easy to kind of go down these directions. So do we need to think more about like how the, you know, what, you know, how the money is distributed, how the cash expenditure, where does that go? Does it benefit the artist? Does it benefit the creators? Et cetera, et cetera. So that's interesting. I think going back to, well, just to explain a little bit more about what we're doing. So Open Ear curate, we curate players for businesses in essence, and um, we try and champion great music, but we do all sorts of stuff. And um, we, we work with, and I guess it came from me as a touring DJ. Every time I went to a different um, place I was DJing in, I would meet someone that was already working in a small kind of cottage industry community type sense with, you know, their local businesses, their friends that run bars, and they would be this up for them because in essence all businesses play music all the time so they need music and and i guess what i've noticed having done this for over 10 years is that businesses actually care about having good music now more than ever you know it used to be absolutely terrible you know just stick on anything but now it's actually like really considered or whatever so our little bit just to kind of introduce this notion to the conversation because we're in this world is that to say like you know we have a tech platform that can help enable djs potentially curators tastemakers etc to curate playlists for businesses. Obviously businesses are closed right now, so we completely accept that this is a model for the future and not for now. But has anyone looked at, you know, other streams of income? You know, I think that there's been a big reliance on DJs and the gig economy and then producers who just are, you know, producers then having to become DJs to go and gig. But now we've realized that actually oh, we can't go and gig because we can't travel and the clubs are shut, you know, so what do we actually do now? And where is all the money going that's been consumed in music? Because people are consuming music as more than ever before, you know. So there's got to be some kind of models within that. And ours is only one tiny little representation of a small sector of the music industry, but there's got to be models that I think now is the time to discuss these and how that can actually work to benefit, you know, the large you know community of people involved with the music scene rather than just... Uh, a minority that run big tech companies or, or whatever. Yeah, I think what you touched on there like, is very well defined by uh, Bandcamp recently. They waived all their revenue um, shares and music downloads and had over 3.5 million pounds worth of streams in one day. Um, how important is it, do people think, that these sort of... Um, changes in behavior are sort of implemented and quickly to try and keep this industry afloat? Yeah, well, to give some context of what we're doing for the Save Our Scene campaign, um, we kind of got together with a number of promoters and, you know, people that work in venues around the city 
um, to come up with an idea of how we can support, um, you know, people who are maybe hard done by with what's happened. At the beginning of the kind of um, camp, the campaign's early days, we didn't really know how that support looked because the government hadn't set out any kind of um, schemes at that stage to um, show what support they were going to give to to people in work and self-employed people as well. So it's been a project that's kind of evolved day by day. And uh, where we've got to with that is we've set up a grant scheme where um, venue staff who were on potentially zero hour contracts or freelance who haven't been able to get the support that you know furloughed workers might be able to get um, more from their organizations. Um, and just the sheer amount of applications that we've had for that show that there is so many people that are really hardly hit by this pandemic. Um, so basically what we've kind of done and we're still kind of going along um, is set up a number of fundraising activities um, over the past few weeks. Um, so we've managed to raise quite a bit. Marcus, do you want to cover some of that? Yeah, um, I mean, in terms of, um, yeah, so I mean, in terms of Save Our Scenes, Save Our Scene kind of, goes on to Brian's point really that you know where where you know where do the funds flow um so when when you know save our scene was kind of like I guess you know me and Robbie have run high hoops for a number of years and primarily run it across a couple of venues in across Manchester and Salford and when it kind of happened both Robbie and myself uh Robbie and, and me um worked full time and they kind of sat there and we've, you know, the, the whole sort of scenes like collapsing behind us and we're like, fuck, what's going on? Um, and we kind of like figure out, you know, we'll reschedule our, our DJ slots, we'll reschedule our events and actually we're okay. Um, how do we support those people that have actually allowed us to, to do high hoops previously? And what we did was set up Save Our Scene to make sure that the funds go to the workers so that all of the funds that are generated, you know, go to the people that actually need it. And, and that was a really sort of key priority. So we worked with the promoters um, across Manchester and, and Salford who all sort of like were really, really sort of engaged and, and willing to say, you know, you can have free guest lists to our future events, all that sort of stuff. So, um, we started with a raffle, um, which has raised, I don't know, we've, we've had well over a thousand tickets. Yeah, so uh, it's, raised, it's raised just short of 10 grand, um, the raffle. Yeah. Uh, and then we have um, done the compilation, um, which is on Bandcamp. Again, it's going to go live on Friday, which is in, in line with the fact that they're waiving their, um, their fees on that, on that date. Um, there's also a live stream which we did last Sunday, uh, well, a few weeks back um, on a Sunday, um, which raised a load of money. So yeah, so we we've done loads of different things, but I think it's really important that you know if if you are you know if you're watching this or if you're involved in the scene or whatever, I think this is a great opportunity to be turning around and going actually, you know, if I'm buying a piece of music. Is it going to the artist? If I'm, you know, if I'm buying something, is it going to the venue? And, you know, if I'm if I'm donating to something, is it going directly to a worker within the community? I think, you know, this is a good opportunity for us all to, to be able to do that. So, 
Mm-hmm. No, definitely. It sounds like a tremendous effort that you've been putting in there. So well done. Um, yeah, it is a it is kind of sad in a sense that so many of our our problems and our worries are based around money and financial issues. Um, but I want to move the conversation away from that for a bit because I think really coronavirus is taxing much more than just people's pockets. It can be quite hard mentally for everyone to be in this position. So I want to sort of talk about things that you've been able to do. Is these are all creatives and you've all had time. So maybe. You know, you've mentioned that you've started over 170 new locations at home radios and been able to boost it that way. You talk to us a bit about things that have came from this lockdown that you've used to lift people's spirits. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, sorry, I was a little bit quiet on the on the financial side. <laughs> as as being in the business of radio, we don't actually have much stock like sunk into events. I only have that on a personal basis. But in terms of um, radio activity, it's also going to feed into a little bit I'll try and weave it into Marcus and Robbie what you were saying about supporting the people that are that are already active in the scene but also the fight to be able to platform people that are not necessarily full-time involved in the scene as well so to to explain the tale when I say what I mean by like 170 odd new locations is that we have 170 odd monthly shows on melodic distraction and we realized that um the shows all needed to be off-site and needed to be in people's homes. So Josh, the, one of the directors of Melodic and I, two days before lockdown came into effect, rang up every tech hire company that we realised would not be um, using equipment to facilitate events going on in venues around the city and asked them if we could beg, borrow or steal as much equipment off them as possible. And we were helped out by so many friends and a huge thank you goes out to uh, Linton, AE Audio, Loft Audio and Liverpool PA Hire for donating us like 70 audio interfaces. Those people came forward with equipment that they had lying around at home, whether it was like, I've got one XLR cable all the way through to like, I've got some decks that people can use. And we dropped them around to people's houses and have been walking through how to set up live streams and how to record mixes from home with whatever equipment that you have to hand, whether that's just a laptop and doing mixes um, with software or how to record and live stream something fully from home. And we've done that with all of our hosts um, pretty much. And we then also realized, I think it was about four days into the lockdown taking full effect, I was sat here at my desk exactly where I am now going a little bit mad and realizing that I didn't want to actually listen to released music I didn't want to listen to mixes I wanted to listen to people's voices desperately more than anything and I found that I was pretty much only listening to live radio um from the minute I got up to the minute meant to bed I was barely listening to any of my records or any of my cds um so we had the 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 bright idea of adding shows in this time and we launched a complete morning series of shows starting from nine in the morning um with an in-house staff show from across six different locations in the city a breakfast show 10 till 12 which is um a rotating cast over two weeks of a number of hosts and friends of the station and also a daily lunchtime show as well and it was great. I think people really appreciated uh, the ability to tap into what their friends and compatriots in the scenes are doing. So to put this in perspective for people listening from other locations, Liverpool, Liverpool's a very small city. 
and it's not quite got the um, national press attention that places like Manchester and London does have. So there was something a little bit alienating about seeing some of the campaigns that were going on in other parts of the country. Like there's not a call for things like Save Our Scene here in Liverpool. We're kind of keep ourselves to ourselves a little bit as much as there's like quite a, a punch and quite a lot of weight behind the activity of the city. But I feel like just not even people that necessarily are active in the back end of the music industry, but people who are dancers or people who are bar staff or people who are just enthusiastic and just care about it a lot, wanted something at home. And we found that the engagement across like chat room platforms or people joining in was really amazing. And then also a lot of the hosts are not necessarily full-time DJs or breaking through into a sort of like mid or large tier DJ circuit. They're people that are remaining active in the city, but things like ro local radio stations also support those people, which are a vital part of the music industry. And that's people that might do something completely different on a nine to five, yet still keep the whole thing afloat and supported from the bottom up. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm adding is the story from what we've had going on here. Oh, that's great, uh, thank you. And then uh, Stuart, how about you as, as being a, a well-established club in London? What sort of, have you been able to use your platform to engage with people and to, to promote some positivity? To be honest, we've been quite quiet on social media. Oh, really? Um, okay. And yeah, we've just sort of taken a bit of a break and a step back. We're trying to put some stuff in motion. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, yeah, we've just shut down and tried to work with a load of stuff out in the background and tried to work out how to recover from this. So, yeah, we've yeah. Yeah, uh, a bit slack in it, but we have got some ideas coming. <laughs> They're not ready yet. It's an important point that you made because it's great to see people being able to help in a positive way, but it highlights quite clearly that there's so many people in a position where they just can't, they can't at the minute and just it's a sign of how hard the times are. So we've just been to trying see. to unravel, it's just trying mm. to unravel too much stuff in the background and negotiate with your landlords and try exactly. to put plans in place and you don't know what the plans are. And yeah, it's just, it's been quite difficult, but yeah, a yeah. hard time to organize. So, Brian, yep. oh, you put together a little project called Ambient Flow. <laughs> Is it, can you talk us a bit about the thinking behind this? Well, again, um, I don't know why this all kind of lined up for me, but I, I signed up last year to um, study, uh, to train as a sound therapist, actually. So I was kind of interested. I've always been, I studied psychology at university, and I was always, always interested in what music does to our minds and stuff. And um, I guess over DJing and doing the club circuit for over 10 years, I kind of, not that I got bored of it. I love clubs, but at the same time, you know, you get a bit older and, and you kind of start to look elsewhere and stuff. And um, I also had the son as well. So part of that kind of led to me thinking, oh, you know, why don't I explore different ways in which music and sound can affect one another in a positive way. And actually interesting to look at music from a very hedonistic utopian perspective from the club scene but also from a mental health health well-being kind of perspective um from this kind of sound therapy perspective so the ambient flow was like a perfect opportunity for me to just kind of bridge this kind of like gap or bridge this kind of um a process that i've just you know this journey that i'm personally on from you know playing in clubs obviously not allowed to do that now and now playing music literally i'm playing music to my back garden and a few birds that's saying that's my audience now so that's been an interesting post i actually got the shazam for birds which is called warbler 
So I didn't really get to bury them in the audience I'm connecting with. So the chaffinches and the blue tits and everything. <laughs> or does it just tell you what type of bird it is? Yeah, it tells you what type of bird. It tells nice. you a chance of the type of bird. It's like the Shazam for birds. It's like epic. People have been commenting on these birds. So I do this on Saturday. I've been doing it on Saturday mornings. And um, it's like the new club nights, like Saturday mornings, 9 to 11. And on the Insta feed, like, you just pick up, like, the bird song. And people are like, this is so nice. It's so relaxing. It's so perfect for this time and our frame of mind and everything because I'm hearing these sounds of nature and I totally recognize that some people are trapped in flats without an outside space and stuff like that that must be terrible um and you know I've given them a bit of nature in the homes a nice selection of very chilled ambient music and um it's helped me as well personally kind of yeah relax and, and things like that so that's, mm. that's me I, I think it's I think the wider point you know is I find it interesting in human ingenuity and how we we adapt so quickly, and you saw the, the you know the the, the 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 how quickly people you know like yourself you know, obviously have adapted to that and set up live streams, set up different channels to connect with people um, and play with the rules that and the cards that were given and stuff. And I I think that again is a positive point about this is like the human endeavor that we all have within us, the spirit that we have to connect with people and work our way around the situation that we're all faced with. So I think that, you know, as long as we keep talking, there's, there, there could be some real positives that come out. Mm, definitely. I think, um, I, I think like, the ability for us all to adapt is, like, is definitely like, one of the you know, biggest positives to take away. I think like, without sort of being sort of Debbie Downer about it, you know, the, 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 the real challenge is going to be what is the long-term impact to sort of venues and you know what is the long-term sort of change to people's behavior you know social behavior um you know i know that on the back of um, after the paris bombing attacks for example um it took over 12 months for trade to return to those areas and, and the reason that I, I sort of reference that is because i think now everyone's got this sense of fear in them around you know, we're told that you're not able to um, to socialise, basically, because if you socialise, the risk is that you will die. And I think psychologically, the the biggest challenge that like we're all going to face in terms of like saving our seat is actually is the clubs. Is you know, I think radio shows, all that stuff is is actually going to be so so important to to make sure that we're sort of providing a platform for artists as well. Um, but we also need to make sure that we are supporting clubs as well. Um, you know, because if it does take, you know, if, 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 if actually by 2021 clubs are now able to open and if you sort of use that Paris example, you know, it takes 12 months for things to get back to normal. You know, it might be two years before we sort of back to a position where sort of clubs are, you know, going again, basically. Um, so I think we just need to make sure that we have a, a support network and also make sure that we're not supporting bad, empl bad employers as well because mm. uh, there are lots of funds out there and grant schemes mm. that are available so making sure that if there are these projects that are going up um, that they're going to venues that will use them and make sure that they're used appropriately you know, not just mm. to pay rent but to actually support their staff yeah, definitely. That's an interesting point to make. And even when you think about it from like a human behavior 
point of view, like if you think it takes like two months to firmly set a habit, if we've got two or three months of lockdown where my weekends are consistent of buying beers from the shop and sitting in and playing games rather than going out and spending a fortune, it's going to be interesting to think what happens once this has become the new normal and the lockdown is taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to move the conversation more a bit forward thinking to, to when the lockdown sort of sort of is taken away because for many people lockdown and isolation has been branded as a good time for reflection um introspection thinking about things you want to change things you want to improve in what ways have you been able to reflect about your industry what have you realized that you really appreciate about it and what things do you think that maybe need to change when when this is all over i think in general um people are going to be just very happy that they can go out socialize they've got a roof over their heads and they can see mm. their friends i think they'll be less materialistic perhaps that top level of vip culture and you know those people that can afford that and whatever filters down from people in marbella spraying champagne over people and goes into like balconies <laughs> at certain super clubs and that's going to sort of sift away or it should do i think um and the way it could all restructure from you know if the lockdown gets eased smaller venues open with smaller capacities like the, the whole scene's got potential to just grow from the ground up which i think could be really really exciting and um, it could put a lot more focus back into the local communities and having a bit more of a club culture where people are religious about going to the club because they know what they're getting um, and just sort of seeing how that transpires and, and building stuff up so that you know when the larger capacity venues open i think it'd be very sort of interesting and um, it's almost like a big reset for the scene i wouldn't um, um, I wouldn't want to be Glastonbury right now, though. I think that there is something to be said about 20,000-person festivals, 10,000-person festivals. Uh, I think in terms of that behavioural change, it will be really interesting to see what feels appropriate. I think when this all went down, none of us imagined that we wouldn't want to go to all the festivals that we thought we did. And then actually, if you imagine them now, they feel different. Um, and I'm sure after a season of not having them, it will be really interesting to see what people crave, because I really agree. I think there will be a resurgence in locality and small venues, and, and, and especially as someone who is really involved in small grassroots DIY movements, I think that's incredibly important and something that we've potentially neglected um, or has been neglected. But I am interested to see how uh, how things can scale up again to the kind of in time for the next festival season when everyone will be requiring, when anyone in the industry will be requiring it to do so. Yeah. Um, But to answer your question, I feel like, I I actually think the things I've missed, obviously like collective euphoria, um, proximity to people I love, you know, like I can't wait to, I just can't wait to have a dance. I spilled some gin and tonic on my floor the other night when I was listening to some music and it felt like so much like a club. I was like, oh my God, so much fun. Um, but actually in terms of festivals, uh, I'll be reflecting on it and I really, I feel like I so appreciate what Brainchild has been for me personally, but also just from the level of acceptance that I know people feel like in a kind of, I think for the people who are marginalized or who are misrepresented or underrepresented, uh, to go into an environment where they feel welcome and embraced and accepted and where they can push forward the limits of their own ideas and their identity and meet people make friends I think there's a whole season of that that isn't going to happen and I'm and I'm sad about that I think people are people really need it 
people really need it because I don't know where else they get it. They don't get it at the pub. I mean, they can't even go to the pub, but they definitely don't get it at home. And maybe they don't live with people who get who they are and they don't live in an environment where they can have that much expression. And I think, yeah, there's there's a lot to look out for in terms of people's mental well-being uh, this this summer, not being able to get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you mind if I jump in? Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's what you're here for. Uh, yeah, I think obviously I'm going to say something, but this isn't because I, I'm happy to be staying at home. I wish more than anything that I could be out in a club or I could be out at a festival or I could be out at the pub or the bar on a Friday night. Absolutely. But I have been remarkably impressed with the amount of ingenuity and resourcefulness that people have shown. And I think this will continue to grow. And I think in some ways this is the, the the transfer of to everybody making digital content has been amazing for the, if there's one thing is accessibility and I think it's something that people really don't talk about is especially accessibility of venues often if they're small and they're grassroots you know it's really difficult to make a venue wheelchair accessible if you're working on a tiny budget already um, and the same with with festivals as well but we've seen the ability to open up a lot of resources for free I mean I know that music software has been put out for free people have been live streaming their sets for free when previously they might have charged an enormous amount of money either to a promoter or on the door would have been a high fee as well and also educational resources that have been being put out so for example the, the DJ workshops that I run a pay as you feel or free entry anyway but and they're often dependent on kit. I understand that financial access is really hard for things like DJing setups. Um, but we've managed to move these online as well. And even now we're sitting here in a in a in a panel online, and there could be more people watching this at the moment than might be sat in a room, depending on whether people can get the time off work or whether they can afford the evening off. And I think we'll see a, a larger push into actually reaching audiences that we really care about and and deciding which audiences are like our people as such. I think it's going to be a really, really interesting shift. I mean, when all of this lifts, and I really hope that it's sometime soon and sensible, I guess the question to ask is, where do you where do you actually want to be on that first night or that first week, that first club? Do you care about going to see a big name headliner or do you care about being reunited with all of your mates and all of your friends that you've missed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of leads in, um, in terms of high hopes. Um, and what everyone's kind of mentioned tonight around um, locality and, you know, booming, the booming kind of local scene more than like an, an international scene. Um, it's made me kind of think about our past bookings. And, you know, in five years, I could probably count on one hand how many headliners have been from the UK. Um, we've always been really reliant on international artists. Um, I don't know why, I don't know why that is, but it's just a pattern that we've kind of evolved into over the years. Um, but I guess being able to think about that and seeing the kind of levels of creativity coming from home, um, it's definitely it's definitely going to be a shift towards, you know, there's so much talent in the UK and I think it's going to be a gradual shift to less international artists and more, and more locals. Um, plus the environmental impact of like constantly flying people um, every Friday and Saturday night for, uh, for your gigs. Um, the, the impact of that is huge. So I, th- I reckon for us, that'll probably be a takeaway from um, from this whole experience. Just saying that though, um, I think I think what's really interesting coming back to the flow of money is just the the need in this moment to interrogate to interrogate that flow and understand why musicians and artists are so reliant on gig income to the extent where tour schedules can't allow for people to travel in a more environmentally friendly way. And that has so much to do with the way that streaming works and how little 
and how the money is not going in all the right places. And I think that, you know, this is a good moment for us all to interrogate uh, the broken parts of this economy and this, this system that we're in, um, be it environmental or be it just in terms of the support that is actually out there for, mu- for music creators to make music, pure and simple, to just to do that, to do that, which they do so well, and not have to be in six different countries within six different nights. Um, because, yeah, if we weren't in that situation, that would be an improved new future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, think, I think this touches upon, um, you know, the, the uh, what Matt Dryhurst, who you probably, some of you know, um, is a great sort of um, cultural theorist uh, and um, commenter, commentator on, on the scene. And, and, and he defines kind of what we've been talking about just there, about the, the difference independent music and interdependent music. And I think it's a really nice way of putting it because for me personally, you know, I've always been a champion of what I deemed as being independent music. You know, we're all independent. We're away from the corporate structures, the the big, you know, major label type stuff. We're independent. But actually that hasn't necessarily helped in the last, you know, few years because being independent means, well, what does that mean now? It means that, you know, we accept the dominance of big tech platforms. We accept the trickle down of streaming revenues. We accept that we're looking out for ourselves ahead of potentially the scene. You know, you know, if you look at the way that Instagram works, for example, in terms of self-promotion, um, valuing the value proposition of, say, something like Instagram with the visual ahead of the audio, you know, that where does that lead us to? You know, all of these things are about, the in, the definition of what is independent music, interdependent music is a lot more conscientious when it t- comes to like what Marina said about the money flows and how that actually works. And look, there's there's lots of money in this industry. There absolutely is, but it's not very well balanced across, and it certainly doesn't extend into the grassroots. And you know that's something that perhaps you know we have to talk about and perhaps we'll, we'll, we can look at how how that how that changes and stuff and i, I totally agree with the, the locals as a luckily enough you know from from my perspective of being an international dj i've had that on my mind the last few years because it's part of the narrative uh, you know i feel guilty like traveling you know so much and over the last couple of years i've taken a conscious back step in terms of like trying to do more local gigs and less traveling and things like that so that kind of thing was already starting to happen as you've referenced already. Um, so where does it go from, from here? You know, d- why do we need that? As you said as well, the, the, the dominance of the, the headline act, the international DJ to pull a crowd, etc. you know, when there's plenty of good talent, like, you know, within our, within our, our city location or whatever. Yeah. I got a lot of the points that you are touching on, an article that was released was called um, "The Scene Isn't Worth Saving." I don't know if any of you are familiar with it, but I, d- I don't think this was a direct dig at the the Save Our Sea Manchester and Salford. The, the article itself sort of um, put under the resident advisor Save Our Scene letter to some detail and and passed a lot of comments. Long I am reading off this because I don't know exactly what it said, but some of the key points were. Producers' revenue streams are drying up, venues were closing, labels were struggling to sell records, festivals were crowding out clubs, um, music media layoffs, DJ fees were spiraling out of control. Are you using consensus with this um, article or would like to get your views? I mean, I mean what, what better way to get people to read your article than with a headline like that? Um, 
I mean, it's, you know, I think I kind of had a glimpse of the, the article, to be honest with you, and I, I didn't read it in great, in great detail, but um, I think some of the points are really valid. You know, the, the, the thing for us around Save Our Scene, so immediately we were like, we will, we will not be looking to support festivals. And the reason that we, we felt that is because we, 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 there is this acknowledgement that festivals are a luxury, you know, to a certain degree. Um, you know, the, the whole reason that Robbie and I started sort of high hoops was one, to book DJs that we want to go and listen to and have a good time, but actually to create a, a, an all-inclusive safe space and actually, I think, you know, save our scene. Well, what is our scene? You know, you, you've got, it means so many different things to so many different people. And actually, you know, I think it goes back to the point before um, that was made. Who, you know, what are you going to do when this when this is all over? Are you going to go and focus on your headline DJ or actually you're going to go and hang out with your mates? Or are you going to go and find a safe space where you can just be who you want to be? And actually, I think that if we don't have that, you know for me there's the there's the box in which people go and, and and express themselves that is one aspect of the scene and then you've got the music you know and the two are just so you know happen to be actually they go quite well together um and i think that the the scene is 100% worth saving and it's really really important worth saving the key thing is how do we change it and how do we sort of, you know, deal with the issues that have been around for years and years and years. And, uh, you know, for me personally, this has been an opportunity to, I've always thought, oh, we can't stop doing what we're doing because, you know, if we stop, it's, that's it. And actually Mm -hmm. it's been a great opportunity to sort of take a step back and go, we don't need to do that that way. We don't need to do that that way. We can do things differently. And I think that if everyone sort of does that, and, and sort of has a, a local lens on decision making, you know, as well as a global lens on it, and then the scene will be better for you know for years to come as opposed to what it has been in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think I'm, ahead, I'm, I'm, I don't know if anyone wants to talk, but I'll, I'll try and be quick. They, I'm I'm writing an article. I haven't published it yet, but I was I was going to publish it next week about. Just from my perspective, the, the, the DJ paradigm, which basically is the dominance of where the money flows to, it often is on this headline DJs that we've, we've referenced in this talk. You know, it's it's and and I'm lucky enough that I've sometimes been that. So you know, it's very nice pay packet at the end of the day. Um, what my article is saying is, you know, is there a model for, um, you know, the DJs potentially, um, you know, probably volunteering a percentage of their pay, donating it, if, if, if you like, to the music producers of the music that you've played during your set, you know, and ultimately, you know, the PRS, PPL, the PROs in whatever country you're in are meant to govern and remunerate the, the artists whose who, who's copyrighted content you're using, but that doesn't necessarily happen, you know, like that doesn't... I don't, as a producer, necessarily make any money from any kind of my music being played out by DJs and stuff. So I think something in there has to change because if there's like the majority of the income is going in the headline DJ and nothing else is trickling down and the club promoters are losing money because it costs them so much to do it or just breaking even and the mm-hmm. producers that are making that content, 
you know, aren't making anything through the, the licensing, then then surely there's going to be a shift. But then the DJs are taking home such a big pay packet. It doesn't really Sorry to interrupt. I mean, so in terms of high hoops, what we've had a policy for a number of years to have the cap on the amount that we're prepared to pay DJs. Um, so we will only pay certain. You, you know, there is a there is a limit, um, and we and we will not pay the the figures that you've probably heard or or you know people are paid on a regular basis. We will not pay that. We refuse to pay that. Um, and you know we do that so that we can charge a reasonable ticket price that can then you know make it accessible to people we pay djs a set amount if you want to come and play and you're a big headliner great that's amazing this is how much we will pay you the ticket price is x it means that it's affordable for people one thing that we don't necessarily probably take into account is the prs sort of aspects of it um but I think the, the key thing is that it's the promoters, the clubs, you know, they, they have a, for me, they have an obligation to, to sort of like, to set how it, you know, the parameters and be more ethical, you know, rather than these obscene figures, you know, I think everyone sort of kind of gets excited and carried away with it. But actually, you know, maybe this is, you know, take a, take a stop, uh, step back and stop and say, actually, no, this isn't how we're going to operate going forward things are going to change you know this will probably be a good opportunity for a lot of people that just haven't felt the ability to do stuff like that so there was a, a couple of ideas so one regarding the prs and the track listing which i think is so so essential one of the problems with it is that you need to be a producer signed up with your own licensed copyright in order to be able to submit your own track lists back in so say if you're just a, uh, a dj and you're not producer but you're playing large stages you're still not able to submit track lists to be able to get other people paid which is a real pain i know that there's a few um devices being built at the moment which are kind of like little black boxes to install in venues that have basically like better um uh, copyright detection to resubmit backwards and I'd like to see some progress on some of those and then some ideas some of these are half-baked and some of them maybe have a little bit more legs in them but some of the things that we were talking about trialing with um, the parties I think that are co-run here in Liverpool was we came up against the same idea of, of DJs charging a very very large fees for for small venues and a little bit of cooperation on how fees are reached with agents I think would go a long way here and um, I really appreciate the, you know, the high hoops. I think you folks are exactly right in saying setting a cap on it. One of the ideas that we spitballed here was was having it set to a ratio, much like the way that um, people like Labour Party members are paid, which is, I believe, ratio of one to 12, um, compared with the person who's been paying the lowest hourly wage in a venue, which 99% of the time is either going to be the person who owns the venue, who's probably taking home nothing, or the person who's cleaning the toilets, who's taking home about eight quid an hour. Um, quite how realistic this is for small grassroots promoters to dig their heels in and say, I'm only going to pay X ratio to this DJ. I mean, most agents will just turn around and say, well, all right, fine. We'll find them another gig then. Um, it, which is one way of, one way of trying it. And also I was quite surprised about the, the crossover with how shows are promoted in the live music scene. And there's not actually that much crossover between promotions for um, electronic music and bands um, Marina will probably be able to speak 
uh, at much greater length than me, but I was absolutely floored when I found out about how the majority of bands tours get paid, which is a ticket split on the door, a low fee up front, and then a ticket split on the door when all is said and done. And obviously this relies on trust between the artists and the promoters. And I'm also not entirely in agreement with um, DJs only getting paid depending on how many people show up. I don't think that's fair either. I think that artistry is worth um, money, like regardless of whether no one walks through the door, because it's got to be in part of the promoter's job as well. But a little bit more of an even split where the risk isn't entirely on the promoter and the venue. Um, something like an approximation of a, of a ticketing split and broaching this topic with agents, I think would really, really help a lot of us. I, I think a lot of it will depend on just how long this goes on for, to be honest, mm -hmm. and how much power in with the smaller promoters and you know what what capacity is going to be allowed up that be allowed to open so if, you, if you've only got sub 500 capacity venues then you're going to be in a better negotiating position if they don't think go at the same time it'll probably go back to the same as it was mm. i think a lot of it will also depend on how long this this sort of goes on for because a lot of artist profiles are going to be they're going to simmer down to be honest because they won't have the activity of what you know being positioned and lineups and having record releases, time and videos of their shows and stuff. So if it, if it goes on for nine, 12 months, then I think there'll be a big sort of negotiating position for, for a venue or promoter to, to try and force different deals that promote the agencies aren't used to. I've already started having discussions with a few and I've, I've suggested doing splits. And some of the questions, some of the, the people are just like, you know, no, we don't do that. Um, mm. And some of them are saying, well, you know, I'm not interested in that for the moment, but I'm sure six months down the line and we'll reconsider. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think it's really important to, to remember that, you know, at the moment, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of keeping like a mental note of like, you know, both within the scene and outside of the scene of, of people and organisations that have sort of kind of fucked, <laughs> fucked us over for, you know, basically, um, or not agreed to certain things. And actually, I think like, now it's, it's that well if you don't agree to it from a you know the, the we know that the local talent is there the one thing that this has proved is that especially through the save our scene stuff that you know people are willing to work together we know that the talent is there we know that people want the same thing you know to have a safe space to listen to music for people to be paid like a decent amount for whatever they're doing whether it's been a you know bar you know bar staff or you know a doll picker or actually making the music itself we know that 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 is common across everyone so for me like if people aren't aligned to that then jog off <laughs> i think people are going to be glad for the work i mean I, I think when we were planning our original plan which was to postpone to september you know you're just talk, you're picturing your conversations with your suppliers at that time and you know that really it's all up for grabs like people need the work and they're going to have to be cooperative i mean everyone's in a similar position um and we've found in terms of like, you know, paying fees and keeping things fair, we, we also have a proportion system for how different artists are paid. Um, we've never really had headliners so much at, at Brainchild, but we do make sure that the starting out artists are kind of on a, on, a on a kind of ratio level with artists on the top end. And we didn't pay ourselves for six years, so we couldn't really put ourselves on that thing. But now we do and we still try and keep it, yeah all in the same space and I feel like agents have been receptive to that so far but I think that we're going to get even more transparent from this point um I feel like so far everyone that we've had to let down has been incredibly understanding and I've been really reassured by um how 
kind of kind and flexible the industry that we've dealt with so far has been. So I feel like that does have promise for the future in terms of setting up new ways of negotiating pay. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think what you're Sorry, go, go ahead there, Stuart. Um, I think you know, you just you said you know you didn't get paid for six years. Um, uh, you know, Auntie Flo and Brian, you're saying that you know you, you acknowledge that promoters at our sort of level don't get paid, and we've got from you know our venue, there's so many people coming into a party and do money. It's just it's not really right. And I'm thinking if the economy is going to get screwed in whichever way, and there's going to be less money going around, there's going to be less people that are going to be you know willing to lose money throwing parties so you know quite often you might get a group of three or four people who are happy to chuck 300 quid in and lose it and you know lose 1200 pounds on a night because they love doing it but those people might sift away and that gap is going to need to be to be bridged so people are going to have to start working towards you know making it a bit more sensible for everybody i think think then as the dj fees are going to come down that's for sure i mean i think that you know that goes without saying it just just it just depends on how much they come down because um you know there's going to be some people that that will pay and will lose the money and if it's a brand or if it's a collective or whatever there's still going to be some people that pay i think festivals right. learn a lot from reducing especially the big festivals their exclusivity contracts you know because i think that is a detriment to the 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 more grassroots element of the scene you know i i find it ridiculous yeah, good thumbs down for the <laughs> exclusivity. I mean, I'm constantly doing like little parties, you know, um, non-announced, um, just because I want to do them because they're much better fun um, <laughs> than stuff that gives me like a pay packet or whatever. So, I mean, it's, it, I mean, and all DJs will do that as well. So it's difficult when you're faced with like, you know, the opportunity to make money. I think that it goes back to what I was saying before. The independent artists, and, you know, I'm talking about myself here, I mean, I have an agent, I've had a manager. You know, that's not really an independent artist that you've got all this support team there. Like, it should be just me operating by myself, you know. But as soon as you get these people, and I love them, but at the same time, you know, they are looking out for your best interest. And someone referenced the the agents and stuff being more amenable to that. They will be if 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 there's a if there's you know, if there's a drive from the artists and everyone else involved with that kind of business transaction to to make that work. And there's really good examples. Brainchild, obviously, one I, I you know, resident at Field Maneuvers Festival, very similar kind of ethos. And they do it really well. And, and they are able to drive, you know, lower fees from the artists because the artists generally want to play there, you know, and the DJs won't generally want to play there and stuff. So this kind of mentality is good. It's just difficult when you've got a bigger festival with more money behind it, with more brand sponsorship behind it, where they're like dangling a big pay packet and then saying, oh, by the way, you can't play six weeks either side of this, this gig. That's that's what has to change, I think. Yeah. But it, it also needs to work both ways as well in terms of if, you know, if, if fees are coming down, fees need to go up because there's also, you know, I know a lot of people that on a regular basis play either for near to nothing or for nothing, etc. on a regular basis. And I think that, you know, promoters, clubs, you know, you, you, have, you can't just, you can't, utilize people's willingness to to forever it's it's unfair you know you need to make sure that people that are playing at an event are being paid you know fairly so the dj fees need to come down from the top but they also need to go up you know for for everyone on a more regular basis as well yeah and i think i think um well in manchester specifically um we've got a really good community of promoters 
Um, so we have like regular kind of contact with a lot of the other promoters in the city around, you know, who's booking who, what dates clash, things like that. And I think if you can engage your community to, you know, uh, stick together and say, you know, we're not going to stand for these like ridiculous fees anymore and, and putting ourselves at that risk that we've been doing for years. I think, I think that's probably the, the, the best way to go about it is kind of a collective force of, of um, achieving it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the whole situation has exposed certainly um, some form of vulnerability and weakness in terms of what everyone depends on to function. And do you think then moving forward, let's say six months on the line, everything starts to reopen, people are going to be a little bit more reserved, maybe a little bit less trusting. They're not going to want to pay as much up front, that sort of thing. Do you think that is going to have an effect on the whole music scene in general? Like things aren't going to quite feel the same. People are going to be a bit more constricted in what they do. Yeah, I, I saw I saw a post on um, Resident Advisors Instagram maybe last week or the week before, and it was around China had opened certain clubs. Um, I can't remember what like what area, but um, I think they had someone commenting from that from that area around how different it is now. You know, they've just come out of their like their intense lockdown and their reopening clubs, but the attitude to, to nightlife is completely shifted. So people are wearing obviously masks. There's less people. Um, less people means that the club is closing earlier. So there's there's kind of a big domino effect on what was of changes as to what was before, and it's inevitable that that's going to be you know widespread all over the world whenever we eventually come out of um, come out of this and reopen. Yeah. everyone's going to have to remember how to dance again as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that we've got so far into this chat and and we haven't really talked about streaming and like I just I just find that quite interesting because I feel like I've had a really difficult time. We've also talked a lot about adapting and like I've got to admit I've struggled because we're all in this job because we love what we do and we love actually being near each other and a vibe and an audience and and like that we like that thing. Um, and it's been quite difficult. I've never been particularly interested in streaming and now I have to be really interested in it and I have to be um, adaptable even when we're all mourning and confused and like actually really scared. And so there's been like, I feel like a lot of pressure to adapt quite quickly and lots of people have been able to turn around whole new ways of doing what they do. Um, but I was in a conference with Dice today and they were talking about prevalence of streaming and I think, and, and Nia talked about accessibility, and I, I just, I just think over the next six months it is going to be interesting because if I'm going to be gravely, like, I don't know, brutal about the future, it's one thing. It's summary right now. Two, I think we are likely to see a relapse in infections if this isn't dealt with quicker in the winter. And I feel like this is going to be a while. It's going to be around, and I think streaming is going to have to become a part of what people do um, in the next eight months whether they like it or not and unfortunately I feel like that's also going to come with a price like I think that as soon as there is an effective paywall that means that people can actually buy a ticket that is not transferable I think you know companies and artists would be right to use that to try and make up for the lost income that they've got and to start adding you know when when things soften slightly and people can utilize their venues to do that then there'll be a higher production value and then these things will start to get more expensive um so yeah, I don't really know what I was going to say about that, but I suppose my my <laughs> thing is yes, it will feel different in clubs, but also I think that streaming and and like online events are going to become a way bigger part of our psychosphere for the next twelve months than than we can probably imagine. 
It's funny, I put together a panel discussion just at the beginning um, of the year before this was really on the cards that was about was specifically about the importance of live streaming and, and radio for the music industry right now. And I had uh, Tash Elsie, Mo, um, Gabe Saturn and Seb Mariner from NTS um, on the panel and it was great, but it felt in some ways like such a perfect time capsule of what it was then because now it's done pretty much a complete 180 um, with the importance of streaming. And I think dialing back very, very slightly to the a slight return to that um, the scene isn't worth saving article, I thought it was pretty fierce and a little bit too pointed in parts. But what I liked mm. about it was that it gave um, very, very specific options for what you can do at home if you think you want to change the scene. One of them when it comes to streaming is to look at the sort of the two aspects of streaming here so live streaming and also streaming music about who you're streaming from and why you want to continue doing that whether you want to buy your music on Bandcamp or you want to buy your music from a record store a local record store online or you want to listen to Spotify or Tidal um, and making that choice at home when we don't have the decision about where we can spend our money otherwise and also about the prevalence of of live streaming and one of the bizarre slightly philosophical arguments that came up in the panel that we talked about live streaming was about the difference between um the exclusivity of streaming a party that you're not at um sitting at home um sitting at home and watching an event of people having a really amazing time whilst you're in your pajamas eating doritos can be a kind of discomforting feeling and there's something very very pleasant now in watching people in their home environment as opposed to this kind of being put on a pedestal behind a stage, the the performativity is is almost stripped away, and the only thing that's left is actual decent interaction in the chat room with other human beings, rather than loads of spam in what you see on some of the live uh, live stream chat rooms and connecting with the music itself. And I think it's really going to reconfigure how we look at live streaming, which became a beast that had grown far too quickly and a kind of you know, when you get those, oh, this is a terrible analogy, you get those chickens in factories where their, their, their body grows so big that their legs can't support them. I think that was kind of starting to happen to the live streaming industry right now. And I say this as someone that runs upwards of 100 live streams, um, you know, all the time per month. Um, but it's actually, it's been really, really crucial. And I think there's, there is a positive aspect to the live streaming going. I mean, this is being live streamed right now. Yeah, yeah. And, mm -hmm. It is entirely different, like the idea of watching a boiler room when you're just like, you know, watching everyone. Yeah, it's, everything is different and it's lovely. Um, and even just in terms of like theatre makers and poets as well doing like live streams. And I think that the insight into people's living rooms is really special and people, there is a lot of much deeper connection happening across live streams than was the case before when yeah. it was live streaming things you weren't in on, you know, which I completely agree with. I think we just have to, you just have to remember, uh, I think this is why radio is so important as well. Radio is amazing. Good in, times in this, radio. Because, you know, live streams, webcams, I know that, you know, sometimes like, I, you know, I have Zoom Zoom calls back to back day, you know, and I'm like, I'm, I'm not going on camera. You know, people do not, some people do not feel comfortable interacting <laughs> in this way. And I think we have to be super, super conscious if, you know, if things are going to change. Then we always have to have in mind, you know, what were people actually trying to get when they were interacting with music in venues, you know, and then a huge element of that is the mental health aspects of it. You know, people are going there for a release, sense of community, sense of sort of escapism, all that sort of stuff. And we need to make sure that that's catered for going forward. If things do change, then that needs to really, really you know, that needs to be fundamental 
and to any sort of like plans that are sort of you know being designed etc to make sure that people do feel comfortable interacting with that sort of media you know whether it's a, a live stream or a, a video conference or anything like that and that, that's the key thing for me that we need, need to make sure that we we also all need to be careful about rights um i got a bit wigged out today because i realized that actually uh copyright and publishing in terms of like getting like dj sets on youtube and whatever like it's a very very big gray area especially when we start when money starts to be exchanged for these things and we start hosting live gigs even artists being empowered or like having autonomy to perform their own music it's all going to get a lot more complicated and I just want us all to be buttoned up and aware of that I'm certainly not right now but I will be soon <laughs> yeah can I come in um yeah I think that there's been a massive ignorance in the general community about how money flows when it comes to music rights and you look at the likes of I mean you can look at any of the big platforms that we've we all use, I guess, in the last five years, you know, from the likes of SoundCloud, SoundCloud never sorted out any rights, um, have done retrospective, YouTube never sorted out any rights, has now done retrospectively. Then you come to live streaming and you go, well, Facebook Live. I mean, I do Facebook Live on my radio shows and I'm lucky if I can get through two hours without it getting cut, you know, and, and it seems crazy that you've got the, you know, the most popular streaming platforms like Facebook and like YouTube, not having a, a an ability to uh, kind of uh, to pay the artist whose music you're playing if you're just doing a DJ set or whatever. And and I guess the real like kind of shining light actually that's come out and I'm going to test it this Saturday is going to be Mixcloud with their Mixcloud yes. live platform. Mm -hmm. I thought, fantastic. You know, I'm, yeah. I've been, you know, I used to share an office with the Mixcloud guys. I'm good friends with them. And I, they're you know, generally good bunch of people that have not taken big investment, you know, until a very late stage in the in the development of their company and have always paid the artists. You know, they negotiated with the PPL to, to have a mixed cloud license, you know, when, you know, their their contemporary SoundCloud never did that, you know. So when you were listening to mixed clouds, the, the money was flowing back to the artist to, to a small degree, but it was better than SoundCloud, which the artists were getting nothing, you know. Um, so the an understanding of how this whole streaming industry works is is is, is got to happen. I think that having some option where you do know that the artists are potentially getting paid through them, say Mixcloud Live or any other platforms that come around, is 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 mega important. Um, so 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 yeah. But I think that you know we're all jumping on streaming, going yeah, this is the solution. But you know also what's happened over the last five ten years is the value proposition of streaming has been completely undermined, you know, because, um, you know, and I love Boiler Room, but at the same time, I've done five Boiler Rooms and I've never got paid for a single one, you know, and, and you know, I don't think any artist got paid for, for, for Boiler Room and stuff. And it's, 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 it's undermined the value proposition of what streaming could potentially become because you just watch Boiler Room for free. No one gets paid. It's self-promotion. Everyone understands that. I benefited from that. Sure, I got more gigs because I did a Boiler Room, whatever. But now when people are more reliant on streaming and unable to go to clubs, then we're like, oh shit, how do we actually make any money from this? You know, and this mm. charitable thing is great and you can raise money for charity, fantastic. But is that a long-term solution? Does that actually help the content creators or whatever? I don't, you know, I don't necessarily know. Will people's, you know, mindset kind of change to then go, right, I want to pay for a stream? It's very difficult to do, I think. 
Okay, thank you very much for sharing that. I think now, without running the risk of running on too late, we've covered quite a lot, and I have been sent some questions, which is good because it means that people have actually been listening. So I think maybe now would be a good time to to just go through some of them. Uh, I'm just going to pick them out randomly here. So this question is from Ellie Adam, and I assume it's for you, Marina. She said, just out of interest, what percentage of people from your festival tickets donated? Oh, um, well, it's not over yet because they've got until 18th of May to claim a refund. Um, so that could still go on anytime people decide that they're too skint to stick it out. Um, we took about £600 of donations in the first day. It obviously mm. slowed down, um, but we haven't really pushed further since then. I've been quite overwhelmed. Actually, loads of musicians donating to us, which was amazing because that never money never flows in that direction. And I obviously want to support them as much as possible. But I suppose these are artists who are um, emerging and really appreciate just the community that they get to be part of. So I've been really encouraged by that. Um, I'd say about 20% of people who've requested refunds so far have donated a part of their ticket. Um, and we've probably had about a hundred refund requests um so it's not yeah. incredibly high actually um fingers crossed it stays that way yeah hopefully so okay the next question is quite interesting one i guess is kind of can go to whoever wants to answer it or everyone can answer it if they want this is from marie avril and it says has there been any thoughts in how we can adapt at least some forms of cultural events to social distancing I know that Switzerland, for example, is discussing leaving seats between spectators at gigs slash shows. The regulation of social distancing will seemingly be much more relaxed for outdoor events, question mark. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think the, the outdoor events one is is one that's probably been debated the most at the moment. Um, I, I just, for me, I think until, un, until there's some proper... I don't know. I do, there's, there's the thing is we can come, you know, as promoters, it's quite, you know, if we wanted to do an outdoor event and do it socially distanced, you could probably do it and it would cost a whole load of money, extra money to do it. The key thing for me is would people actually want to go? Yeah. And, and also how, how, how you would kind of police that, you know, you want to make sure that everyone feels comfortable to be at an event. And if there's, I don't know, one person that's, you know, not following those procedures that is keeping everyone safe, you know, it would it would need constant policing to to make sure that people are adhering to that um, those guidelines. So I, 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 it's hard to envisage it working in, in, in a nightclub environment. I just, I can't, I can't say it, I can't picture it. Also sanitization, like I think, you know, for example, festivals, it's difficult to no one would say festivals were very clean I mean you can have the best of intentions but I think um maybe a, a for example like a, a venue that has more taps more wash stations more spaces where people can easily access like hands on and keep clean than an outdoor event or like a city-based outdoor event might manage I think you know if you're dealing with portaloos or a bathroom there's obviously a, a difference there so it would have to be a whole like a much bigger and yeah bigger enterprise and like policy that would b enable that to feel safe yeah it's one of them ones that's almost impossible to enforce unless you have everyone dancing in a massive bubble side by side which i can't imagine being 
too fun. But moving on to the next question, then let's go for this one. We kind of touched briefly on artist fees after this already, but this question's from Max William Carton. It says everyone's involved in the direct connection between venues and booking artists from grassroots right up to massive touring artists with Stu down in London. Dot dot dot. How does everyone see artist fees going in the coming year or so? I mean, I think they'll come down for, you know, for clubs, they're definitely going to come down. I don't know what they're going to do for festivals, but I think the whole industry is going to take a hit. It's going to take a bit of time to recover and everyone's having a bit of time to rebalance and and realise that, you know, that maybe the, the whole fact as well that everybody's got to, you know, look, look locally or UK-wide for the moment because flights is just going to be, you know, tricky. Just It means people have got to think outside the box and learn how to market local artists and the artists which potentially they wouldn't have used before and i think that's going to rebalance it um from a, from a small venue um if we're one of the first people to open i think there'll be a massive pool of people that are going to want to play for us whether mm. you know it's a local dj it'd be a you know some superstar dj that we could never afford before there's going to be loads of people that are going to want to play those first first shows because they're going to want the presence so i think if if venues aren't too stupid about it they can sort of command the fees a little bit more than before maybe if they're clever they can you know contract certain things that they're not going to go up by x amount if they rebook a person with an extra time frame or whatever it is but i think i think naturally they're going to have to come down i think what's interesting oh we'll go for (laughs) marina first and then um marcos you can come in next if that was you um it's just a real quick one i suppose but i'm just speaking from the perspective of like say an average gig ticket for I don't know I don't do so many DJ nights I'm not so we do we do some but we're, we're not and I'm aware that the margins are different on a live show with enough with enough live musicians I mean you know there's not enough money to go around at all really at least at the level that I, I work at and I think that gig tickets for live shows have have started to really reflect that like if you look at an average price for a gig um five years ago to now you know it's, it's wildly different you could be paying the best part of 20 pounds before covid to go and see uh, a live artist somewhere like village underground mm-hmm. um which like you know maybe that's like 10 pounds worth of difference i'd say in like five years maybe i'm wrong but that's how it feels like and i feel like that can't really afford to come down i don't really know what and i'm not sure really whether people will be able to afford it as much I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that demand bounces back just because I think it becomes a bit of a luxury to see live music in a weird way like in certain situations because it had become expensive but you know it's incredibly difficult to to be a musician in that way you don't get very much money um there's those people involved so yeah that's my thought on that <laughs> yeah I mean so for once, I, I'm, I'm sort of put a positive spin on this because usually I've got a negative spin on everything. But I think, you know, in terms of DJ fees, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think in terms of headline DJ fees, they will come down. But if you actually think about it, overall DJ fees, in my opinion, they'll, they should go up. And, that, and what, what I'm trying to say there is that, you know, if, if more um, promoters give local artists an opportunity to to play and and maybe do some of those headline slots and and have more of that focus charge the same ticket price then realistically as long you know as long as they have some form of you know moral sort of ethical business model that makes sure that they sort of reinvest in their community then actually it means there's more money 
to be paid for DJs um, that previously might have done a gig for, say, 150 quid, 200 quid. Well, why not pay them 500 quid? Why not actually allow those local artists that do play month, you know, week in, week out at different venues locally, why not pay them properly so that they can actually get, you know, make it a de- decent sort of um, income? Well, it's not even a decent income. It's just a sustainable income. Um, so actually, I think from an overall point of view in terms of DJs, well, actually, hopefully, fees might go up for the majority of DJs. <laughs> it's just the small percentage of DJs that are at the top um, that get paid, in, in my opinion, a disproportionate amount in comparison to what they're actually doing. The problem is, is those DJs at the top, they will reduce their fees, I think there's no doubt, but do they then crowd out? Does everyone reduce their fees and then the people really at the bottom don't actually get a look in now? You know, so you know this. Maybe they're doing longer sets or all night sets and stuff like that. The residents. I think that's why it's so important to have promoters that know the local scene and let, know the local community. Um, you know, and, and work. You know, doing the save our scene thing has been has been great for us. Just in terms of reengage. You know, we've always had a really good relationship with loads of promoters and loads of local DJs, but actually it's just enhanced that significantly. And we, you know, we work in Limbo Radio, for example, in uh, Manchester, you know, absolutely amazing independent platform that showcases local talent. And actually, you know, you go through, you know, you go back through that and I've been listening to some of their mixes and I think, why the fuck have we never booked, you know, this person? And it just, you know, if you can now bring those into the club setting, pay them properly, then for me, that's, that's a positive. So, I think there's going to be a bit of a rebalance as opposed to, um, you know, pe- people aren't necessarily going to suffer. Oh, Marcus, I'm so glad you said that. Like, A for a start, huge shout out to the folks at Limbo because they're all men and they hustle so hard and they're all great. Um, but also the fact that you've been listening into local radio and being like, oh, let's take this person into a club setting now. Because I think one of the concerns for me about the health of the scene afterwards was that we'd kind of return to exactly where we left off, which is that you go and move all your gigs that you have postponed. So you have the same artist back. And then when you come to be booking people, you're only looking at people who are already a known name prior to all of this and it's really difficult to know how to how to get anybody to either break through from completely unknown to like slightly better known or like platforming at any stage of their career how to continue platforming them whilst this is all happening rather than everything just stopping completely and that's where it does come in is continuing to give people a platform to speak and still like continue to grow their career, grow their opportunities, be able to be placed for club gigs, maybe at an indiscriminate date, who knows when it will be, but to still be discovering new artists rather than listening to artists we already know and love as, as much as we can support them through the time as well. I think that everyone though, I think it'd be really interesting to see what happens culturally with bookings and like a musical direction, just because I think that everyone's taking stock to some degree and going back through their collections or like taking the time to actually listen to the mixes that they get sent or like digging through old shows. Well, I mean, I personally have been learning so much about music in a way where normally, and we've been listening to all our submissions, you know, um, we do that anyway, but I don't normally do that. Um, but it's amazing because actually to have the time, I think that we are going to see probably a real shakeup in, in like bookings. I hope, I think that would be really amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Thank you for that. So now we're going to move to the last question, which comes from Roberto Regalini. And this is a quick fire round for everyone. So Bandcamp, I believe, are um, waiving their fees tomorrow and for a few more times, a few more months following, sorry. And his question is, can we do a quick fire round of the panelists' favorite upcoming artists um, in the industry that we can check out and support? Um, as well as other venues and businesses, but I think this was a focus on artists that we can support through Bandcamp that maybe some of you have as a personal favorite. Um, let's start with the High Hoops guys, I guess. Yeah, so I guess um, leading into the fact that we've got the compilation going live tomorrow, um, I feel like I should shout out all of the amazing producers in Manchester that con contributed to that. Um, we've got 20 artists, um, and producers in the city to, to contribute a track to the compilation. I don't want to pick one, but um, there's some really great names on there and lesser known and some some more known. So, um, you know, the likes of like Henzo and uh, Sarah Bates, for example, they're really great producers. So um, I want to shout out to all 20 of those people that contributed to that compilation. And if you want to listen to it, it's, it's out tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pick one, um, Means and Third. So means of third, go check him out. I uh, when I was when I was nineteen and and first moved out of uh, home and went and lived in a horrible flat in Fallowfield. He used to when everyone used to session. He used to be making music and um, super super into music. He's been doing it for years and years and years. He's probably one of the best DJs I know. One of the best producers I know. Um, and his music is just absolutely insane. So uh, yeah, means and third, go check him out. Okay, good. Anyone else got any recommendations? I like your dog, Marina, by the way. No, <laughs> My fat mate's dog. Nice to meet you, Phil. <laughs> um, um, I have some... Oh, Nini. No, 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 you go, Marina. Um, I can recommend some not producer people as well as producer people. Um, I recommend a musician. She's, I feel bad saying this now because she's so not local. Um but from New York called uh, Duendita, you guys should check her out. She's like life-changingly brilliant, um, like D-U-E-N-D-I-T-A, um, an independent artist. She's also based in Berlin. Um, Foot Shooter, he's got a new record out. Ben Hawke, I think is like, so Ben H-A-U-K-E, I have to say is one of the most prolific but like not what like not famous enough music makers. I just don't understand. Like everything he makes is a banger. He's so industrious. He's always he's amazing, amazing sets. Um, and also Elka E L K K A um, just put out a new compilation called uh, what's it called? It's, it's her label's Femme Culture, but she did it with. Um, he for she it's funded by the UN and it's, it's featuring loads of amazing new up and coming producers and they've just put that one out. Um, yeah, more more people I could go on, but I won't. Perfect. Nina, were you gonna jump oh, in there? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna do a like Ruth. I'm so sorry. I'm gonna do a ruthless bit of self promotion here. Um, <laughs> not not, not for me personally. Melodic Destruction just put out an article on our website. Um, compiling a list of loads of the producers who are part of the station's roster and the residents and a big long list of loads of their releases. Some of them are being released specifically for Friday. Some of them are older releases that have, that have made it onto there. But 
I'm not picking favourites because that's really bad, but special yeah. shout out. I'm going to Land Trance, which is a new project from Dialect and X Easter Island Head, which is wicked. You should definitely go check it out. It's absolutely beautiful. And a special shout out going to 96 Back, who is releasing his LP and also released on the um, Save Our Scene comp as well, who's putting out an LP on Friday. Perfect. <laughs> Stuart, how about yourself? Um, yeah, so I uh, just a friend of mine, Jeff or Manpower's just um, released some, some stuff about camp and yeah, it's it's rocking loads of new stuff. I can't remember what it's called, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Day. Okay. And Brian, you last but not least. I'm gonna, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm gonna give a sh- I mean there's lots of people. I'm gonna give a shout out to this guy Duckett, um, who's London based producer who releases on Brickos Heroic. I hope that's how you pronounce it, but um, talking about, you know, a producer that uh, needs some help, you know, I saw on his Instagram, I think he was like uh, having to work as a cleaner a few months ago and stuff like that because music wasn't paying his bills. So a big support. This is the second one he's just released, the second EP on, on, on Because of Rick, um, Emperor's New Clothes. So yeah, he's great. Um, I think he does live sets as well, which is another thing we didn't really talk about, but like you know, DJs doing live sets or producers doing live sets and stuff has been a lost art in many ways. So, you know, he does that and that's great. And um, I guess you should all book him um, for your festivals. <laughs> there he goes. Everyone's got a, a full new list of music artists to check out now. So thank you all for that. I think we have been talking for a long time now. So this is going to bring us to the end of the panel discussion. Um, I know I find this conversation immensely valuable. I'm not I can't see how many other people have been watching it, but I'm sure at least one person has found it valuable, which is mean <laughs> that it's worthwhile. Um, I would just like to thank on behalf of Voices to all of our panelists here for taking time out of their day to come together and, and help create this. Um, this is a new experience for us, I'm sure it is for you too, but I think we can say it went relatively well. Um, so all thumbs up and smiles here. Um, I can't control the button to stop it live streaming on Facebook but I think <laughs> someone is listening who can so uh, again anyone who's us on Facebook thank you very much uh, we hope you enjoyed it and until next time keep safe <laughs>